Hello, listeners. This is the Labor Know Your Rights podcast. I'm your host, Dave. This podcast is brought to you by the National League of Justice and Security Professionals. And today we'll be discussing the right-to-work laws. We'll be discussing them in general terms because there's over 20 states that have them and each state's laws are slightly different. I would like to start off with a quote from Jimmy Hoffa, the president of the Teamsters, has said, The right-to-work proponents are waging a war on workers and Martin Luther King Jr. called the right-to-work a false slogan, and said the laws rob us of civil rights and job rights. The reason he said such is that the slogan, right to work, actually have nothing to do with the right to work. It's a misunderstanding by design. Many people continue to believe that unionism is based around the concept of the closed shop, an agreement between an employer and the union representing the employer's workers requiring that the employer hire only labor union members or if non-members are employed, they must become a member of the union within a stated period of time or lose their job. This concept is not true. In 1947, a Republican-controlled Congress passed the Federal Taft-Hartley Act, also known as the Labor Management Relations Act. The law amended the 1935 National Labor Relations Act so that closed shops, businesses in which every employee was required to be part of the union and pay dues were no longer legal. This left the individual states free to pass laws that prohibited requiring employees in a unionized business to pay dues. These laws are known as the right-to-work laws. The right-to-work slogan originated from the the U.S. Supreme Court ruling Dent v. West Virginia, stating that Americans had a fundamental right to pursue an occupation of their choice. The Supreme Court forbids state legislatures from depriving or regulating people's particular occupation. Later, a newspaper editor from Texas named William B. Ruggles who was anti-union, reinterpreted the term to mean the right to work in a unionized business without paying dues. Ruggles has become a something of a folk hero for the right to work movement. The Taft-Hartley Act additionally required that employment agreements collectively bargained for to benefit union members would also be required to inure to the complete benefit of non-members employees even though these employees elect not to join the union. The Taft-Hartley further required that the union be additionally obligated to provide non-members with virtually all the benefits of union membership even if that worker elected not to become a card-carrying union member. This would include collective bargaining, 
disciplinary investigation, representation, unlawful terminations. These obligations are so rock solid that should the non-union member employee be displeased with the quality of the fight the union has put forth on his or her behalf that non-union members has the right to sue the union for failing to prosecute as good a defense as would be expected by a wrongfully terminated union member. This means that the Taft-Hartley Act was providing non-union members with most all the benefits of membership without having to join up. Non-members, workers, to gain all the goodies at no charge, while members were obligated to pay dues for the very same services the union provided. To compensate for this, Taft-Hartley required that while nobody could be forced to join the union, non-members would be required to pay dues to the union as if they were members. These are called agency fees. The equivalent of union dues when paid by a non-member. Another myth is that non-union members were who are required to pay the union dues even when not a member are as a result paying for these dues being forced to contribute to the political activities of the union despite their disagreement with the political goals the union may choose to pursue. Again, this is not true. The Taft-Hartley clearly states a number of court cases have confirmed that non-union members can be compelled to pay only that portion of union dues that is attributable to the cost of representing employees in collective bargaining and providing the services that are given to union members. Indeed, the law specifically states that non-members cannot be required to pay for the union's political activities or for the costs incurred by the union resulting from organizing employees. So if workers already have a legal right not to join a union and at their workplace and can be required only to pay that portion of the union dues that goes directly to the cost of the collective bargaining and other benefits of union protection to which they are entitled, even though they are not union members and bear no obligation whatsoever to pay for the political activities of the union, what does these right-to-work laws seek to do and where do they come from? The right-to-work laws on a state level is a loophole in the federal laws that has allowed the states to get away from agency fees altogether. This allows non-union members, employees, to continue to get all the benefits of union representation and protection as to steal the requirements of the federal law without having to pay as so much as a penny in return for these benefits. The right to work laws advocates claim that it brings more jobs to their states, increasing the economy of their states. But not everybody agrees that the laws actually do bring business into a state. Others believe that it does not bring in any more jobs and also results in less wages and benefits for everybody, including non-union workers. The argument against right-to-work laws goes beyond the fact that it doesn't more jobs to a state, 
but also with the right to work laws have the effect of weakening unions and weakened unions tend to be good for business or at least the owner of the business by giving non-union members a free ride while preserving for them all the benefits of collective bargaining and union memberships the likelihood that employees will choose not to become members of a union are greatly increased after all why pay union dues when you can get all the benefits of representation for free. Advocates for the right to work laws tend to be Republicans. The American unions continue to be the largest contributor to Democratic candidates by creating laws that are guaranteed to put a strain on union treasury. States can virtually assure that Democratic candidates at all levels are likely to feel the pinch. It should therefore surprise nobody that Right-to-work legislation has never been passed into law by a state legislature controlled by Democrats, into law by a Democratic governor, or that support for those laws come down squarely along partisan lines. You can support these laws if you believe that lessening the collective bargaining power of workers will bring business to your state, or that lower-paying jobs is, somehow, in the interest of the nation. Despite almost two generations of declining growth in worker wages in the face of skyrocketing executive compensation, it has been determined that the right-to-work laws result in lower wages for both union and non-union workers alike by an average of $1,500 per year as suggested for cost of living in each state. Finally, I'd like to discuss some of the costs that are incurred by unions on a daily basis that the right to uh, work laws uh, would affect. Without union dues coming in, a union would have a hard time paying for a union hall, conference room rentals for negotiations over contracts, printing fees, travel expenses, voting materials such as pamphlets, ballots, postage, envelopes, record-keeping, file cabinets, printing for not only disciplinary actions, but also for mediations, uh, travel, uh, mediations themselves, uh, court costs, lawyers. All these things are expenses that a union has for representing their members or non-members in disciplinary actions, terminations, contract negotiations, and the like, uh, the free riders would be allowed to bail on that members would have to pay for. The reality of this is that unions would be forced to represent non-members non-paying members just as they do for paying members but would not have the resources to be able to continue to do this indefinitely as more and more members stop paying dues the union would not have the money and therefore would not be able to do the job that you would want them to do it all comes down to the right to work laws are a way to break the unions 
And to wrap this one up, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the National League of Justice and Security Professionals, where the members come first. Labor Know Your Rights can be found on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash labor know your rights. For comments, questions, or suggestions for episodes, you can reach me, Dave, at laborknowyourrights at gmail.com. The National League of Justice and Security Professionals can be found at www.nljsp.us.